This is the Mahabharata Podcast, episode 34, Monkey's Uncle. Last episode was the final one in a series of side stories that were worked into the Book of the Forest as part of the Pandava's travels through the holy sites of India. Their tour guide, Lomasha, narrates most of them, and the stories seem to revolve around the themes of marital loyalty and Brahmanic power. There's certainly many more of these diversionary tales to come later in the book, but we may well have just worked our way through the longest unbroken series of these stories in the entire Mahabharata. For a while at least, the Pandavas now return to center stage as the main protagonists. They have been traveling steadily northward, working their way as close as they can to Indraloka, where they hope to meet up with their prodigal brother Arjun, who remains in heaven relaxing with his father Indra. Lomasha announced to the brothers, We have now passed beyond the mountains Mainaka and Kala. Next, we shall enter the Sveta range, where the Yakshas live with their Yaksha king Kubera. The passes are guarded by sorcerers, and the valleys are infested with Rakshasas. Beyond that lies Mount Kailash. Concerned about the dangers and hard travel ahead, Yudhishthira ordered Bhima, Sahadev, Draupadi, and all their Brahmin hangers-on to remain there at the headwaters of the Ganga, while he, Lomasha, and Nakul would press on to their tryst with Arjun. Neither Bhima nor Draupadi wanted to stay behind, so Bhima objected for both of them. None of them wanted to miss the reunion with Arjun for even a minute, and Bhima offered to carry them all if need be. Yudhishthira gave in, and soon the whole entourage pressed on to a valley inhabited by the Kunindas. Their chief, Subahu, welcomed the group and gave them the best hospitality. There, we are told, the party's servants, overseers, cooks, and Draupadi's entourage were all left behind, while Yudhishthira, his wife and brothers, and Lomasha continued on toward Mount Gandamadana. This next pass must have been particularly high, because the travelers were hit by a freak storm that forced them all to run for cover from the rain, lightning, and hail that fell relentlessly as if the sky had fallen. The next day, the weather cleared up, and the group continued on down into the valley. As they went, Draupadi suddenly collapsed. She had finally been worn down by all the rough living, and she could go no further. Her husbands all crowded around her anxiously, while Yudhishthira bemoaned all the events and decisions that had brought this innocent princess to such a bad end. Yudhishthira said, There's still many mountains to climb, all cragged and covered in snow. How will Krishna be able to travel through them? This time, it was Bhima's turn to comfort his elder brother. He said, Do not despair, my king. Let's call up my son, Gatotkacha, who can fly us all out of here. No one asked why he didn't think of this earlier. Yudhishthira just agreed to the plan, and Bhima's half-Rakshasa son appeared within moments. The strong-armed boy bowed and greeted his elders, and then offered his services to his father. Gatokacha had brought along a band of Rakshasas, so they each picked up a Pandava and flew up into the air. Lomasha did not need this help, because he could fly any time he wanted to. The group now made rapid progress, flying over vast wilderness and hordes of barbarians. They flew right over the heads of the northern Kurus, and finally they reached the foothills of Mount Kailash. As they descended for landing, the ancient hermitage of Narnorain came into view, with its tame animals and fruit trees that always bore fruit. When our hero's feet touched that hallowed ground, they felt all their pains and weariness fall away. The Pandavas settled down contentedly in this paradise, daily making offerings to their ancestors and frolicking in the gardens with Draupadi. Both their spirits and their bodies were refreshed in this holy place. They spent six days in this heaven-like setting, enjoying the great beauty of the lakes and flowers, until one day a breeze blew in from the north, carrying a single celestial lotus blossom with 1,000 petals. Draupadi ran after it and picked it up from the ground. She showed it to Bhima and said, Look at this magical blossom. 
I will take this one to King Dharma, and if you love me, you'll find where this came from and bring me back an armful. Poor Bhima hadn't been sent on a real mission in years, so he was eager to begin this quest. Like a mad elephant, he rushed up the flanks of Mount Gandamadana in search of the celestial lotus. Bhima was already on the far side of the mountain before it occurred to him that with both he and Arjuna away on a mission, Draupadi no longer had a serious protector. Hoping that Yudhishthira would sensibly keep the family safe while he was away, Bhima increased his pace and hoped for the best. Bhima plowed across the gold and gem-encrusted slopes in search of the blossoms, scaring herds of elephants, rousing flocks of birds, and knocking down trees. As he rounded one mountain ridge, Bhima encountered an aging, man-sized monkey lying right in his path. He immediately sensed something unusual about this creature, so he stopped to encourage the beast to get up and out of his way. Despite all of Bhima's bluster, the monkey only yawned and stretched. Bhima bellowed for him to wake up and get out of the way until the leaves were blown off the trees and the mountains shook, but still the monkey was imperturbed. The beast smiled and asked, Why did you wake me up when you could see that I'm not well? I'm a simple beast, but you were born of a woman, so you should know Dharma and not disturb the old and sick. What are you doing here anyway? You cannot go any further, because these lands are only accessible to ascetics. Bhima was getting increasingly suspicious of this well-spoken animal. He asked, Who are you? Why are you disguised as a monkey? Whatever you are, be aware that I am a Kshatriya, son of Kunti, of the Lunar Dynasty, and I am addressing you. So tell me who you are. The creature simply replied, I am just a monkey, and I will not get out of the way. You might as well turn back or meet your perdition. Now Bhima was getting annoyed. He said, I am not asking for your perdition or anything else, monkey, so just make way, lest you meet your perdition. The monkey sighed, I lack the strength to get up. I am old and sick. If you really must get by, then jump over me. Bhima said, I could easily leap over you and this mountain, just like Hanuman leaped over the ocean. But I sense the supreme Atman is strong in you, and I shall not defile the Atman in that way. The monkey asked, Who is this Hanuman fellow? Bhima said, He's my brother, endowed with reason, courage, and strength. For the sake of Rama's wife, this Indra of the apes jumped the ocean in a single leap. That great hero is my brother, and I equal him in strength and skill. So just move along so no one gets hurt. The monkey sighed again, less convincingly, and said, Have mercy, I'm too old to get up. Just pick up my tail and walk past. Bhima contemptuously reached down to brush away the tail, but he found it unyielding. Stooping down with a grunt, Bhima locked both hands around the tail and pulled with all his strength, but still he could not move it even one inch. Finally realizing he'd been beat, Bhima gave up and prostrated himself before this remarkable creature. He said, Forgive my insult. Whether you are a Siddha or a god, Gandharva or Guyaka, please tell me why you pretend to be a monkey. The monkey's answer amounted to a summary of the Ramayana. He said, I was born the son of the wind god. I am the monkey known as Hanuman. In the days of my youth, that great hero Rama Dasarathi walked the earth. When his wife Sita was abducted by Ravana, I helped him by jumping over the ocean to find her at Ravana's palace. As a reward for my service, Lord Rama granted that I would live as long as the tale of the Ramayana is remembered. For 11,000 years, King Rama ruled his kingdom, and then he went to heaven. These days, I rest and listen to the Apsaras and Gandharvas sing about Rama's deeds. Hanuman continued, As for this road, it cannot be traveled by mortals. I am stopping you for your own good. Besides, the pond you seek is close nearby. Bhima nearly forgot about his mission in his delight on meeting his famous brother. 
He said, this is like the best thing that's ever happened to me. If you would please do me one favor, I would like to see you as you were back in the days when you fought for King Rama. Hanuman laughed sadly and said, those days are long past and nothing is as it once was. Nowadays, all things are dingy and diminished and we cannot go back to the way we were in those halcyon days. Bhima, having picked up the habit from his brother, sensed a story and asked the monkey to tell him all about the four yugas and how things have changed since Lord Rama walked the earth. Hanuman replied with a reasonably succinct lecture on the four yugas. The yugas can be seen as four points on a wheel, which turn slowly from one epoch to the next, spelling out a long decline from a golden age until it reaches a complete nadir during the current age called the Kali Yuga. The first of these epochs, called the Krita Yuga, is the Golden Age. At that time, Dharma is in full force. Creatures do not die, there is no commerce, nor is there human labor. One can obtain food by mere thought. There is no old age, no disease, no fear, no hatred, no suffering, no envy, no jealousy. The castes are all well-defined, and everyone stays in their place. There are no gods placed above us, nor are there demonic creatures beneath us. The next age is called the Treta Yuga. At this time, Dharma is diminished by one quarter. Each person lives by their own rule, but now sacrifices and rituals are required to maintain equilibrium. The third age is called the Dvapar Yuga, and in this era, Dharma is at half power. In this age, the four Vedas are revealed. The path to truth becomes divided and confused. Many people practice corrupt versions of the sacrifices, while others are driven by their passions. Those seeking salvation must either perform brutal austerities or they must sponsor elaborate sacrifices. In the Dvapar Yuga, creatures' lives are cut short because they lack virtue. Finally, the fourth age is called the Kali Yuga, and it is the era of discord. Dharma is running at quarter power. By the end, the Vedas are forgotten. Dharma, sacrifice, and ritual all come to an end. Crop failure, disease, and vice prevail. Without Dharma, the people degenerate. Hanuman concluded his dissertation, saying, Thus is described the Kali Yuga that will be shortly at hand. As for wanting to see me in giant mode, what is the point of that? You know who I am, and you know my history. What more do you want? Bhima was determined, however, to see the giant monkey, so he pressed on petulantly. He said, I'm not leaving until you show me your giant form. Because it was his brother, after all, who was making the request, Hanuman complied. He stood up and began growing larger and larger, until he was larger than the mountain peaks that surrounded them. Finally, the monkey stopped growing any bigger. He said, This should be big enough for you. I can grow even larger if I am attacked, but you would not be able to bear it if I got any bigger. Bhima was more than satisfied with this demonstration. He clapped his hands with delight and said, Contract yourself, please. I can more easily stare at the morning sun than look at you like this. But now I'm surprised that Rama had to even lift a finger to kill Ravana, when you could have easily managed the whole affair by yourself. The monkey quickly assumed his former stature and answered Bhima, saying, You are quite right. Ravana and his cronies were no match for me. But if I had done the whole job, then Lord Rama would never have shown the world his own great deeds. Having grown tired from his exertions, Hanuman dismissed Bhima, telling him the way to find the Saugandika forest, where he would find the magic lotus blossoms he was seeking. The monkey said, This path will lead you to the Garden of Kubera, but be careful, it is guarded by yakshas and rakshasas, so don't just go plucking flowers without permission. The brothers then embraced tearfully. Impulsively, Hanuman offered Bhima a wish. He said, Choose a boon, brother. If you'd like, I could fly to Hastinapur and bury all your enemies. If you'd like me to smash up the whole city, just say the word. Bhima said, 
All that I ask for is your forgiveness for my rudeness. As long as we have your support, we shall surely be victorious. Hanuman then offered to do this. When the great battle commences, Arjun shall fly a pennant, and when you raise your battle cry, I shall perch on that flagstaff and will lend my voice to yours. I shall utter fearful roars that will rob your enemies of their lives. Hanuman then vanished, and Bhima resumed his course towards Saugandika Forest. Now, sure of his course, Bhima crossed a mountain ridge and saw a beautiful valley with a magical river meandering peacefully at the bottom. In a bend in the river, he spotted a pond, filled with the divine lotus flowers that he was seeking. Bhima had discovered Kubera's secret pleasure garden. As he drew nearer to the Saugandika forest, he encountered a line of thousands of rakshasas who were guarding the park. Confused at the sight of this bold human, dressed like a sadhu but wearing a sword, the ogres challenged Bhima, telling him to go back where he came from. Bhima ignored the creatures and pressed on with his mission, jumping into the pond and greedily plucking the precious lotus flowers. The ogres needed no further prompting. They pressed in from all sides and attacked Bhima there in the pond. In short order, Bhima was surrounded by a growing heap of rakshasa corpses. The more intelligent ones, the more intelligent ones then realized that they had a problem, while the stupid ones had trouble climbing over the mountain of bodies that lay between them and their enemy. The ogres needed no further prompting. They pushed in from all sides and attacked Bhima right there in the pond. In short order, Bhima was surrounded by a growing heap of rakshasa corpses. The more intelligent ones realized that they had a problem, while the stupid ones had trouble climbing over the mountain of bodies that lay between them and their enemy. The rakshasas then called for a general retreat while they reported the news to their boss, Kubera. Bhima took advantage of this respite to drink the healing waters and gather more flowers for his beloved. News of the break-in quickly reached Kubera at his court. When he discovered that the perpetrator was the famous Bhima Sena Kanteya, he laughed and told the rakshasas, Let Bhima take all the flowers he wants. He's doing this for his wife and I'm fully aware of his purpose. Meanwhile, back at the camp, Yudhishthira had been hearing deep rumbles coming from the far hillsides, but he thought it was just a nearby thunderstorm. As the day went by, the signs grew more ominous. The sky grew ruddy and an enormous dust cloud sprang up from the distant mountainside. The foreboding signs of war made Yudhishthira suspicious. He went out looking for Bhima. The Dharma Raja did not find his brother, but he did come across Draupadi. He asked after her husband and she told him all about his mission for the lotus flowers. Without missing a beat, Yudhishthira summoned his nephew Gatokacha and had him fly them all out to Saugandika Pond in search of Bhima. By the time they got there, the battle was over. The pond was surrounded by heaps of corpses, while Bhima swam happily, gathering lotus flowers in his arms. Yudhishthira asked him, What have you done? It isn't safe to offend gods like this. Please do me a favor and don't do anything like this again. The brothers embraced, and then all of them entered the pond to wash and revitalize in its divine waters. Not long after, a contingent of Kubera's guards presented themselves. Surprisingly, there was no hard feelings, and the Yakshas humbly informed the Pandavas that they were welcome to stay on as Kubera's guests. Thus, for the next few days, the Pandavas and Lomasha stayed there in the magical pleasure garden of the god of riches and wealth. That's all for now, but stay tuned for next time, because Arjun is back. His next adventure is oddly similar to Krishna's UFO battle against King Shalva, but I'll tell you all about it next time. Thanks for listening.